Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Hey, a couple of things. Uh, if, you haven't, if we haven't met yet, newer to Mercy, my name is Spence. I serve as the lead pastor here at Mercy Church. Um, a couple of big things going on in our church. Really one I want to remind you of, if you are newer, next weekend is Group Link here at Mercy. And that's a chance for you right after the service. You don't got to do anything. You don't got to RSVP. Nothing. But community is a big deal around here. We don't want to be just a, an event that people come and attend. We want to be a community, a church family that we belong to one another and use the gifts God's given us to bless one another, grow into the image of Christ. And so you can um, join. This is both here at Providence Road. It's there at Northeast. Uh, you can right after the service meet um, some group leaders and find a community group for you. All right. So big thing happening next weekend. Uh, with that said... I want to move into our sermon um, today, and it is going to be on Psalm 139. So you've got your Bible. Once you, both of our campuses, make your way over to Psalm 139. This morning, I want to celebrate the awesome hope that comes pouring out of this passage of Scripture. And I'm praying that God would bring breakthroughs in our hearts and even in our community as a result of our time in this word. Um, but I'll tell you, I'm going to say some heavy things today. All right. It's just a, as we go through this passage, some heavy things are going to come out. But here's what sometimes when heavy things are said in a sermon, um, what can happen is that we can walk away carrying a burden. And that's not at all what I'm asking the Lord for. In fact, I'm asking for the exact opposite. I'm praying that this would be a, a morning, a time together where we lay our burdens down, where we experience, y'all, just the, um, the power of worship, which is what this psalm ultimately calls us to, is to worship, all right, which is what we've been trying to make all January about, about knowing God, letting information that we're receiving about God, as we learn about God, we're asking him that that would change our hearts in such a way that we wouldn't just know about God, that we would know God. Because he's someone to know. And in knowing him, you find freedom and you find this wild thing, a, a filling of the soul as you worship the God that you know, the God that you know. So I hope today leads to breakthroughs of, of worship for us. But breakthroughs require things breaking. So I've been praying for two weeks now that what would break will be the lies of the enemy that maybe we have been impacted or have come to believe that I've been praying that the strongholds of guilt, of shame, strongholds of self-righteousness that the enemy uses to keep us from God, that that would be what breaks. I've been praying that the light of Christ would break through the darkness some of us have been walking in and that the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts would lead us to renewal, repentance and renewal of faith. That's what I've been praying, y'all. So with that said, I'm going to read all of Psalm 139. Normally, uh, our pattern here is to kind of take a little bit at a time and walk through it. And 
I just kind of want to give you this one in full, and we're going to digest it in full together. Here's what the word of the Lord says, Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. You invoke, who invoke you deceitfully, your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. This is the word of the Lord. I'm asking God as we unpack this psalm to do three things today. One, I'm asking him to show us a biblical truth in here that is going to expose a false worldview. One that I believe is harmful to people, that I believe has taken hold in our day and age around us. The truth I want to share with you from Psalm 139 is about the value of life that we see here as David is talking to God, the value of human life, and specifically the value of the unborn. And that can get weighty because it's going to say something that is both uh, in direct kind of objection to a prevailing worldview of our day, but also deeply personal. And so we got to ask the Lord for help there, which is why the second thing I'm asking God to do is to offer the loving hand of himself, of God the Father, towards you. That's two different things, y'all. That's why we need God's grace in abundance, because in lifting up truth from the scripture, I do believe a false worldview and ideology is going to be exposed, and we can't hold back against that. We have to be clear, but I want to separate that ideology and worldview from people Beloved by God and made in his image. People that God loves. I'm going to try and separate ideas from people who may, have, who may hold them or be impacted by them. Because I believe we're loved by God. We're created in his image. And we are won over. Our hearts are won over. When, yes, he exposes something we might, be, might have believed to be false. But also we are won over by the profession and announcement of his love for us. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. Y'all, I don't believe we are enslaved to a way of thinking. I believe people can change. Even if you are enslaved to a way of thinking, I believe people can change. Well, let me say it this way, because some of you are like, no, people don't change. That might be true, but God changes people, right? And I've seen God change people, and we expect God to change lives. That's a core ministry value here at our church. We expect God to change a life today. I believe it. I've seen it. And so I'm asking, Lord, would you extend your hand, this hand that he talked about that will go wherever we are, as we talked about Psalm 139, that loving hand of the Father will come to us and bring conviction and comfort. Because some of you will specifically need comfort of God the Father today, and it's here for you in abundance. God, listen, the big headline of this sermon is God loves you. He loves you. And his love is here for you in full today. I'll never forget, I was thinking about it um, a couple of years ago, we had a guy that, um, Muslim background, and he had gotten to know a member of our church, uh, they worked together, and he shared the gospel with him, a church member shared the gospel with him a few times, and then we had this moment where the guy professed faith in Christ, um, and then so he got baptized, and when he came up out of that water, y'all, all of y'all cheered like crazy, like you always do when someone gets baptized, you cheered like crazy, and I was thinking about it today, that's how we fight the devil, that's how we fight him, through our celebration. This, I heard a, another pastor say this in his church uh, recently. He said, that's what we do. It's the celebration of God's love and his work among us. That's how we see God break through strongholds is through our praise, which leads me to the third thing I'm asking for. I'm asking for clarity, right? I'm asking for compassion from God's loving hand. But then also, I want him to lead us in the everlasting way. That last verse of Psalm 139. The psalm doesn't just end in, Lord, help me to think differently. But instead, it's about a way in a new direction for our steps, a changed heart that would lead to changed lives. So I'm praying, James 1.22, that we would not be hearers of the word only, but we will be doers also. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with this truth that I want you to see as we, I'm going to walk through this psalm a little bit and kind of uh, take some truth out of it. I'm going to present this as a four-step progression of truth, and then we're going to talk about the compassion and love of the Father. Actually, the compassion and love of the Father is going to be through all of this, uh, but you'll see it. So we're going to get straight to it. For, I'm going to kind of take verses 1 through 16 and pull one truth um, out of those all together, and it's this. God specifically crafts knows and has a purpose for every person. There's no way you can read this passage where this David praying this bad God and get anything else than that. No way you can read the rest of scripture and see any lesser view of humanity than that God knows, crafts, and has a purpose for every person. In fact, I'm about to show you that God bestows even more value than that, but we'll start here. This is a theological statement that has very boots on the ground, tangible effect for our daily lives. God has crafted you. You're not an accident. My, um, my mom and dad. All right. So I got two younger brothers. One is three years younger. That's Matt. One is 10 years younger than me. All right. That's Scott. When, um, when they used to talk about us as kids, they would say they had two children and an oops, right? That's what they would say. Now, that was just their, you know, by the way, Scott is okay, all right? He's a well-adjusted adult. 
Um, we love him. We're glad that he's here and everything else. All right. It, it was just a, a half-joking way to say, hey, we, this was unexpected uh, for them and their family. But I'll tell you what, Scott was certainly no accident to the Lord. The Lord knew, formed him, crafted him, gave him a purpose, planned out every single, did you see that from Psalm 139? Planned out every single one of his days. It's true for everybody. Nobody's an accident. Every single person is crafted by the creator. We're so used to mass production in our society that we can miss the power of something being handcrafted. I know it's coming back in vogue, but... God didn't simply create a human mold, press a button, and you're, you know, human number 8675309. Like that one, that's you right there, right? No, it's not you. He handcrafted you, placed you right where you are in that location, in that time, in that community, specifically and uniquely. Why? To bring him glory. To bring him glory. And he knows you. So one of the big things about knowing God, this series, one of my big hopes is that you'll see that in order to really know God, you got to come to understand he knows you. Oh, he knows you. And that that's really good for you, that he knows everything about you. He knew you at the moment of conception from that very moment, because listen, even then, you were you. And I'm going to come back to that. But here he's saying he loves you. He sees you always. You can't hide from him. You can't run from him. You can't pretend your way away so that you can also, you might convince everybody else here. We got people, we're in the Bible Belt. We got some people really good playing the church game, all right? I was a professional for years, all right? I understand it. Um, but you cannot hide your true self from the Lord. And also, life cannot get so bad that God cannot see you anymore. God's grace is still available even then. And not just his grace, his presence. See, that's what you chase. You walk through verses 1 through 16. What you get, you can't get away from them. And that's good. That's really good. That's the first truth. Second truth, not only does he craft, know, and have a purpose for you, he crafts every person in his image. There's a way in which he crafts them. What I want you to see here, Psalm 139 is a poetic celebration of a very core truth articulated by God himself in Genesis 1. What David's doing is celebrating this. In Genesis 1, 26 to 27, um, it says, God said, let us make man, let us, the triune God, oh, if we had time, uh, to get further into that, make man in our image according to our likeness, which means you're created for relationship with others, uh, which is why you need to go to Group Link next week to get into community if you're not in community because you're created by community for community. Okay? Oh, another sermon. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This is a core God making, crafting every single person to be in his image. It's a core, absolute core doctrine that shapes much of the Christian faith. 
Genesis 1 is going to say God creates everything, everything, regardless of how you interpret Genesis 1, whether you're one who thinks that this is a, a literal six-day creation account or that represents a figurative six days, doesn't matter because it's still got an intentional creator at it with an intentional purpose saying God created everything. But then he did something a little bit different with humans. He made us in his image. And nothing else got that. He gave us a purpose that corresponded to that, to rule over the earth and to subdue it, to be like him on the earth, to be his representatives. No other creature gets that. Um, everybody made some decisions during, uh, especially 2020 COVID era. Um, ours was to get a dog, okay? <laughs> everybody did some things, all right? And they're thinking back on those decisions now. Um, we got a dog. It's a great dog. It's the girliest dog that exists on the planet. Um, Molly Weasley Shelton is our dog's name, okay? She is a light-colored golden doodle. I mean, she's the girliest dog ever. She's smart. She's not like genius smart, but she's smart. Um, but I'm telling y'all, as smart as she is, she can pick up on anything. I mean, I could be, like, putting on my shoe upstairs. She's running the front door to go on a walk. Like, she catches stuff and everything. Um, but she has limited thoughts, all right? There's basically three, right? <laughs> Protect the house, eat the food, and play. And I know some of y'all are thinking, that sounds like an amazing life. I really wish that that could be my life. No, that, that's it for her, right? She's not thinking about her purpose in life, like long-term, what are the next five years? What, what's my kind of five-year plans, you know? But she doesn't face ethical dilemmas ever about anything, it's just eat, play, and protect the house. That's it. She's not, craft, she's not crafted in the image of God. And crafting humans, God did something very different. He gave us his image, which means because we have his image, the imprint of God. Not only is it that leading to, by the way, it's not just like our outward appearance or something like that. And we get up to heaven and God just looks like five foot nine and something like that. No, no, no. In his image... What it means is talking about our character, our creative capacities, our empathetic capacities. You know, we're like God in this regard. And that means because we're in his image, we are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Every person, every person is inherently valuable because they have his image. They have his image, especially the most vulnerable among us. This doctrine has often been called by its Latin term, because it was written, the Old Testament was written in Latin thousands of years ago, and that image of God was called the Imago Dei, and it's a term that's often been coined to explain this doctrine, and this doctrine of valuing every single person because they're created in his image. It's been the reason for so many, so many times where the church has stepped in to protect the vulnerable in world history. That's why William Wilberforce fought to end the slave trade, because how could you enslave an image bearer? Yeah. It's antithetical to God's word. It's why the church, to bring it to America, the church, specifically the black church, was at the center of the civil rights movement. It's the reason the church stayed to care for people during the plagues of the Middle Ages when everybody else ran away. It's the reason Christians spend so much time and money and energy and effort on disaster relief and care for the poor. It's the reason I get texts from deacons that say, hey, man, we're heading out to disaster. You heard about the floods in Tennessee. We got to go. We got to head out there because the hurricane hit and we got to go help. Why? They're not going because it's trendy virtue signaling right now to do that. No, that's not going to last. 
trendy virtue signaling. That's what the Bible calls the winds of the day. They'll come and go, y'all. No, they're going, and the church runs towards people in crisis and towards the most vulnerable because of an unchanging, untrending, always true word of God. It's because of a deeply held belief that every person, every person is worthy of dignity, honor, and love, and respect because they, just like you and me, are created in the image of God. That's our second Second big truth as we see go through here. And the third one that I really see come out in verses 13 through 16. Every person is a person from the moment they're conceived. David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. It was you who created my inward parts. Verse 15, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. This is his metaphorical way to talk about his mother's womb, made in secret when I was formed in the depths of the earth. You look at Psalm 51, 5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful at the moment, passed down from his father, Adam, all the way back. His first father, Adam. I was sinful even when my mother conceived me. And the thing I need you to hear loud and clear is there's never a time when you're living but not a person. God didn't create you with the potential to become his image bearer one day. At the moment he made you, he made you in his image. And this, by the way, this is not um, a political statement. I, I do believe that the Lord is going to call some of you up over the you know, days and years to engage the political theater. Um, that's what it is. And for you to engage that, and I hope that you will go with courage, compassion, and clarity about what God has to say. That's not what this is. It's a statement that the scripture, even scripture and scientific study agree on. In fact, I think they always agree. We just got to study more. And the more we apply honest scientific investigation into pregnancy, the more we're going to see that to be true. It's going to illuminate what we see scripture to say. You look at week six and you can see the baby's heart beating between 160, 180 times a minute. Week seven, the cornea, the iris, the pupil, the lenses are starting to develop. Right, Week eight, baby's hands and feet are developing. Neural pathways are forming in her brain. Child's constantly moving in the womb. By week 12, she can feel pain and recoil from it. And it's only a matter of time. As we continue to study and reveal as we do, as science does, we're going to talk about the child's first days and hours and minutes. Everything I just told you, those little just tidbits about pregnancy, that's just in the first 12 weeks, what some call a trimester. And the reason we talk about pregnancy and trimesters is because January 22nd, 1963, the United States Supreme Court decided to divide up pregnancy in terms of trimesters so that it could legalize abortion for those first 12 weeks, no questions asked. Saying that the child wasn't, listen, wasn't viable as a person up to that point. I just have to say what scripture and science will say, which is that a child in the womb is in the mother's body, but is not the mother's body. It's a child. It's a person. Which all leads me to this last truth, and then I'll put this truth into practice in the compassion of God. It's that abortion is the unjust taking of innocent human life. Now listen. Especially sisters who have had an abortion and who are here, either at Providence Road or Northeast, I'm not saying this with any joy, nor am I trying to trigger past hurt as I say this. I know that's what could happen, though, and I'm so sorry that you went through what you went through. My belief, and what I've seen to bear true time and again, is that there is freedom and healing power in the truth of God. 
And you're my first thought the past two weeks as I've prepped this sermon. I hope that if you've been carrying that in secret, that as you heard Psalm 139 read, that even in secret, he too was already there with you. And you can lay that burden down. And if you already have given that burden over to God, I pray that today you'll be renewed in his love for you. That's my hope. But to get there, we must be clear because the prevailing winds of the day, just secular culture is trying to do an absolutely wild tightrope in this to get you and I to think that abortion is something that it isn't. So here's what's happening. Uh, Broadly speaking, pop culture is trying to remove God, specifically the Christian God, but really all God, all monotheistic God from public life and public conversation. Right now, he's in kind of the category of uh, silly heritage. That's, you know, you're something your family had, but don't kind of bring that into bear on the public. The goal, don't bring your religion into public conversation. But at the same time, here's what's happening, trying to remove God, but also trying to value people. And, And Popular culture is trying to raise really high the the value of people. But the problem is, if you take God out of the equation, what's left to give that person value? You begin to base someone's value not on their inherent worth, but on their capacity, on their viability, on the person that they bring good into the world. That's why they're, it's a huge problem. I mean, take it as simple as something like this. Um, maybe to lighten this a little bit. I, um, I saw Pastor Richard walking around here at Providence Road today with some Air Jordan 1s, okay? Um, I am hopeful one day to get a pair of these things, all right? They're actually not that crazy hard to find, but, you know, I don't want to get nice things because I still have kids young enough to ruin them, all right? So, um, but let's say... I had a pair of Jordan 1s, and they're signed by Michael Jordan himself, all right? And then I hold those out to you, and I say, hey, can you tell me why these are valuable? But you are not allowed to talk about Michael Jordan at all. He doesn't exist. Tell me why these are valuable. All that's left to say is, well, I mean, they're shoes. They have the capacity to walk around in. Listen, this capacity-based value was at the heart of the eugenics movement in America 100 years ago. A woman named Margaret Sanger believed black and brown people should be sterilized because they were less desirable and their children should be aborted if at all possible in her eyes because they didn't bring enough good capacity into the world to justify their existence. So she started an organization called Planned Parenthood to bring those beliefs into practice. And there'd be no reason, of course, to logical conclusion of that. There's no reason to stop with children in the room, excuse me, not in the room, in the womb. If values connected to capacity, not only are children in the womb not valuable because they don't have capacity, but children up to a certain age aren't valuable. No people with Down syndrome or special needs are valuable. No elderly people are valuable. Y'all, that's not me preaching things for effect. That's me telling you what Peter Singer, the chair of the Princeton University Ethics Department, has been saying for years as he's continued to teach his utilitarian ethic approach. There's no reason, he would say, you can't kill your one-year-old or your retired grandma. And people recoil at that, and I'm asking why. When you read the article, I'm sure some of you saw on New Year's Day, a woman flying um, over Asia gave birth in an airplane bathroom, tossed the baby in the trash, went back to her seat. And if you gasp at that, the question is why? She got off the plane and went to an abortion clinic where the child would be gruesomely torn apart limb from limb. She wouldn't be convicted of a crime. 
she'd be celebrated by secular culture for doing what's best for her body. When all of this, and I'll stop there, this is what makes the gospel of God's love so powerful and absolutely urgent. So let's talk about it. What the gospel says is that this child and this mother are made in God's image and beloved by God. The child deserves dignity and so does the mother. The child and the mother deserve life and respect and hope. And the same message that says protect the child also says let's protect the mother. Let's serve and help the mother. Let's not point and shame her. Let's run to her with everything we have like Christ ran to us. See, if we, the church, really know Christ, we would never make someone feel condemned because they had an abortion. That would be James 3, 9 in play where James warned the church, watch out for that. Because with the tongue, we bless the Lord, bless our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue, we curse people who are made in his likeness. No, we would never. Instead, what we would say is, fellow image bearer, come home. There's a place for you. Fellow sinner, come home. There's a place for you. Here's a home for you, for people like us. A new life for you in the grace of Christ. You don't have to carry your sin because Christ took that sin to the cross. And we're walking around here as new creations who have been redeemed, not because we are self-righteous or worthy on our own efforts, but because of what he did. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you had an abortion... Or maybe you're the guy who encouraged it and stood by. Imagine no matter how long ago that was, you're experiencing a lot of hard emotion right now. Trauma and grief, it's awful. So please hear again the main headline of the message. God loves you. And he loves you. You have not disqualified yourself from grace. Not at all. There's this, um, I was re- reading a couple days ago, just did my Bible reading plan, I was in Matthew 21, and I uh, started the year, and I'm reading this parable Jesus tells of these two sons that this guy has. It sounds very similar to the prodigal story, if you know that. But he says, uh, this uh, wine owner, or vineyard owner, not wine owner, vineyard owner, hope he had some of his wine, but a vineyard owner had two sons, and he tells um, the first son, he says, hey, go out into the vineyard and take care of it. And the son says, No. And he runs off and does his own thing. And Jesus says, so then he looks at his second son and says, hey, go into the vineyard, take care of it. And the son says, yes, sir, I'll do it. And then he doesn't do it. All right. So then the first son comes back around and goes and does the will of the father. So Jesus looks at these Pharisees and Sadducees, these teachers of religious law, these ones who know the scriptures. And he says, which one did the will of the father? And they all say, well, the first one did. And Jesus goes, exactly, exactly. The one who may have run away from God. Some of you are like that. You said no to God. And at least you're honest. Praise God for that. At least you're honest. But now he's changing your heart. And the point of the parable is to say you can always come home and come back to the will of the Father. And the thing you need now, God's grace is still available. And the thing some of you who've paid lip service to God said yes on Sunday and sang the songs, but then not obeyed him with your whole life, gone and done your own thing, you need his grace too. And it's here for you too. And the answer, the answer, this is what I love, to the one who ran away and to the one who plays the church game 
is receive the forgiveness of Christ today. Receive it afresh. Verse 24, the last verse in our psalm says, lead me in the everlasting way. You remember what Jesus says in John 14, 6? I am the way. This is why early Christianity was actually called the way. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way to everlasting life is not cleaning yourself up. We say that a lot around here because we live in an area where it's easy to justify yourself by your self-righteousness. And so I say it a lot. That's not going to get you anywhere with the Lord. It's receiving the forgiveness of Christ for your sin and just walking in the new way, the new life he offers you. Let me offer some action steps to close. And then as a way to reinforce the gospel, to make sure God's love for us is at the center of this, we're going to take communion together. But again, after we need to receive grace again. We need to let our hearts be comforted by grace again. But let me give you a couple of action steps. The first is prayer. We got to pray for our church. We got to pray for our community. We got to be a people that cry out for God's power to go to work in our community. Because y'all, like I said, it's the spirit of God that changes hearts. That's actually how you're going to know. Listen, if you walk out of here and all you feel is condemned, throw it off. Forget about it. That's just man's words. The spirit of God, when it starts to go to work in your heart, starts to convict you in a way that gives you hope. Like it's heavy and I may have to do some stuff that's going to give you hope as well. And we got to pray for more of that. I think we don't see change out there a lot because we're not desperate for him in here a lot. I want to pray that we will be a desperate people. I want to pray for women who found out that they're pregnant. Pray these daughters of God would hear the father's love and that their hearts would be comforted and they would choose, comforted and they would choose him in his way. I want to pray for the men that would be right there with them in that too. That they would be courageous and choose life. We need to pray, yes. We need to consider sacrificing. Let me just say we need to sacrifice our time, our talent, and our treasure to some of our organizations right here in Charlotte that are going ahead of us in this. There's a few that we partner with specifically, Congregations for Kids, Christian Adoption Services, the Pregnancy Resource Center of Charlotte. Um, you know, as we tithe together, we give money away to these and other organizations like them. Some of our families are going to need to consider, really consider, stepping into adoption and foster care. And we're all going to need to have compassion to serve these mothers, oftentimes young mothers. And as we say, hey, as you keep your child, we're going to help you. We're going to walk with you. We're going to get you bottles and diapers and throw showers and birthday parties. We're going to help with school. We're going to come over so you can take a nap, right? If we're not willing to say all that, then we don't understand this is a gospel issue about human dignity for all. And so we need to keep our mouths shut. We can't say abortion is wrong. Good luck. It's not the everlasting way of Christ. Instead, we engage. We foster, we adopt, we support, we buy soccer cleats and clarinets, we mentor, and one day we throw a high school graduation party and we cry on each other's arms as they drive away into adulthood. And we grow old and we grow gray and we grow a little crazy, giving away the best that we have to children and their families that could never repay us because that's what God did for us. Let our love, church, validate this gospel we preach.
Let it be worthy of this gospel we preach. We'll mess up. Yes, we will. But as you leave here, I pray you leave with clarity, courage, and compassion. And as we fumble our way in trying to walk in the everlasting way, we'll again each time be drawn back to God's grace for us and need it all the more. Clarity, courage, and compassion, or maybe as Corinthians says it, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So I'm going to finish leading us in a brief time, a prayer of response. I'll close that prayer. There's really kind of um, a few ways I want us to just rest in God's love for us and then take steps. Uh, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to respond to the Lord. We'll do that both here together, uh, Providence Road and Northeast. And then at the close of that prayer, um, here at Providence Road, I'll lead us through the communion there at Northeast. Uh, Joseph's going to lead us through communion. And then we will um, we'll sing together. And then I'm going to be the one, I'm going to dismiss you, and Joseph will dismiss you there. And we're going to have some prayer team members that are going to stay here, including myself, some of our pastors. And uh, you may need to come with a friend and just pray. You need to be prayed over something very specific, heavy burden that you've got connected to this. That's where we're going to kind of leave our time in as we, um, as we leave today. But let me lead you in a time of prayer. If you would, bow your head and And close your eyes. Father, I recognize that there is um, good beauty and life and truth in your word. Your word is both true and living and it gives life. Your spirit illuminates, convicts, and renews us. So where my words have failed that task, Father, I pray that you'd forgive me and I pray that you would set those aside and just do your work. Do your work. I want to let you have a chance just to respond to the Lord. Maybe there's repentance that needs to happen where you say, Lord, I have it's either what I've done or what I've encouraged or what I've just sat idly by for. Maybe it's for a spirit of self-righteousness where I've pointed fingers at others or groups of people instead of sought to bring the love of Christ to bear. You respond to the Lord. You pray for the Lord to bring breakthrough. There isn't something specifically that he's convicting you on right now. Maybe it's that you need to lift up some others in here. Lord, bring breakthrough in a way that leads to life, not shame and condemnation. But, but faith, but hope. Pray for breakthroughs in our communities. That abortion wouldn't need to be an option because of the people of God ready and willing to care for all who need it. this may be the last thing. Father, lead me in the everlasting way. That last prayer of David's at the end of Psalm 139, lead me in the everlasting way.
God, we need you. We love you. We rest in your grace fully. You've told us that it's finished. So you cried out on the cross. We don't have to try anymore to earn your approval. We don't have to pay for our own sins. It's finished. God, I pray that we would rest in that today. We would remember that even as we feel the maybe fresh encouragement to get up and go, we are not the Christ. No, we are not the Savior. But we've been saved, redeemed. And I pray that we would walk and courage, and compassion, and clarity into our day. We need you for that. So we give, give our church back to you. Lead us in the everlasting way, Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.